Welcome back to the No Name Football Podcast. I'm here, of course, with my partner, uh, Carmel Catholic head football coach, uh, NFL, former NFL player, fullback, special teams extraordinaire, Jason McKee. J-Mac, what's up, man? How's Carmel Catholic doing? Uh, we're doing good, man. We had a tough one last week, uh, suffered our first loss. So we're now 1-1, one one. a game in which we should have won. Uh, made a few mistakes and obviously a lot of mistakes in this game, uh, self-inflicted. So hard to overcome those, those mistakes. And, you know, we let one slip away, but got a good test this week, brother. Oh, we got Joliet Catholic coming into, mm-hmm. to our, to Baker Stadium over there at Carmel. Tom Thayer, Joliet Catholic. Yeah. Tom Thayer, Mike Allstott. Mike Allstott. Oh, good thing program, he's not man. playing. Yeah. Man. Oh, man. Thank goodness. Mike Allstott was man. an animal. I had no defense for Mike Allstott. <laughs> no one did for a while. <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine any defense for him in high school, Jay. I have nothing for my have, man, but a well-coached team. Uh, you know, good program over the well-coached team. Uh, another strong Catholic uh, program coming into our to our stadium. So it's a good test for us. We got a young team, but like me, and you always say, brother, there's no excuses in the game of football. Mm-hmm. You know, any team's beatable, so we got to go out there and lace them up and, and play some good Carmel football, and that's what we'll do. Yeah, you you, you learn every game, and really high school football, uh, we're all trying to win, but that's what it's about, man. It's about yeah. these kids learning life lessons. Yes, sir, and, and nothing. You know, obviously two very biased guys here, but nothing teaches it better than the game of football. Uh, my sons, uh, the Loyola Ramblers, Coach Holasek, mm. uh, really rolling. Uh, they got a good football team this yeah. year, well coached. Uh, everybody knows about them. Uh, they play Brother Rice, uh, another, I mean, you, you watch these guys, man, Jay Mack. These, these, these Illinois schools are really, really impressive, well coached, yeah. well run. Um, the kids are tough. They get after it. It's great to see them playing spring ball. We talked about all of that. Uh, we'll move on pretty quickly from high school football here, J-Mac. Uh, later in the show, we're going to have our former teammate, Ottawale Ogunlia. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then it's we're going to have uh, O-line expert, uh, Duke Mannyweather. We'll just talk to him about training O-linemen and, and training them for the draft and some of the guys he has. And uh, that should be really, really interesting. Uh, Ottawale obviously is an amazing story. I think you guys will enjoy that. Uh, you know, this week, uh, J-Mac, we'll talk about about two, um, uh, not this week, but last week, Friday, I think it was April 2nd, um, Coach Nagy and Ryan Pace has some media availability, so hmm. we'll talk about their comments a little bit. But I want to start with you, J Mac. I want to talk to you about the NFL adding the 17th game, the owners picking up that option. Uh, obviously, the players agreed to it. It, it was a, a very close vote. You know, I had the numbers here. I think it was 1,019 mm-hmm. to 959. The, bla- the players agreed uh, to the new CBA. The biggest point of contention was this 17th game mm-hmm. and just just basically what you could get back for it uh, the, the owners you know get, obviously offered uh, less time in the building yeah. uh, less off season for me I start to worry about player development a little mm-hmm. bit uh, when, when you have less time in there but uh, more time to take care of their body Roger Goodell's statement on it was we are following the science and the data to make sure we're doing things from a health and safety standpoint and J-Mac uh, I'll let you start on just your opinion mm-hmm. on this adding the 17th game and what you thought about it. Well, I'm going to go back to Roger Goodell. So, of course, he's going to say the right things, the things you want to hear, but he's making a nice money bag. So, it's more money in his pocket. So, he can say what he wants to say. We're doing things the right way. We're looking at the science. Roger, another game means more money in your pocket. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
point blank period, brother. Oh, right. But it also means more money in the owner's pocket. But then what does that mean for the players? So, you know, we talked about this a little bit uh, before going on air and we talked about the players that made league minimum. Um, I was a player that made league minimum. We don't get an extra check, but we subject our bodies to another game of physicality. <laughs> you know, we subject our bodies to the more risk of injury, but you're not being compensated for it. But Roger Goodell and the owners are, are fattening their pockets. So mm-hmm. the 17-game schedule, um, I'm not a fan of it, uh, but, I mean, it is what it is. Right. And, and uh, J-Mac, for me, and we talked about this off-air a little bit before we, we started recording here, you know, when I was playing ball, when you were playing ball, gosh, I mean, the, the number of games, 17, 18, 19, 20, turn the lights on. Mm-hmm. Turn the lights on. You want to play, let's play, right? Because, yeah. you know, when you're young in your 20s and you're playing, you, you just – Whatever it is, it is. You're just happy to be in the NFL. Right. You know, you just sometimes when you look at it from the outside looking in, um, you wish the union maybe would have fought for more for the players. I know that they're they got now 48.8 percent, and you know the the NFL just signed this new hundred. I think it's about 110 billion dollar media deal. Right. And if it's a real healthy league, the league is very healthy. Oh, the owners are doing well, right? Pockets uh, of just, fat. You know, I think it starts in 2023 to 2033. You want to see uh, the salary cap really jump for these current players. You want to see them try to give a little more programs for the players who played before health insurance. Thank you. Uh, things like that. Obviously, the guys who played in our era doing a little better than the guys who played in the 80s and 90s. And just, there's just a lot of older guys that the least needs to start taking a little better care of. And, you know, you saw my tweet. I said, uh, you know, if, if you never played, if you're saying that what's right. the big deal with 17 games, right. you're not, you, you, you probably never played 16 in a row. Uh, let me say this because I'm not going to argue on Twitter with people. It's called 16 in a row in the NFL. If it's on your schedule, it's in and it's in a row. This is not up for debate. This is not up for you're not technically right, Olin. No. If you played every game, right. you played 16 in a row. Don't talk to me about no bye week. Don't talk to me about all that nonsense. Okay, right. so uh, now that we got that straight, what's called 16 in a row and what's not called 16 in a row. And what I wouldn't do is walk into somebody's work Thank and you. tell them what they should call in a row and what they shouldn't call in a row. So anyway, NFL players, if you played 16 games, you played 16 in a row. Um some other things that, that, you know, just the 17th game, J-Mac, um, eventually I, I'm just hoping the players and the union get back out of it what the owners are going to get from this 17th game. Obviously, the preseason drops from uh, four games to three games. Right. So, they, you know, they cap it at 20 games total, they're saying. Um, you know, it, it obviously is a huge toll. Uh, and, you know, anybody who's played 16 in a row, you know how you feel going into that week 17. Now, most of these football players, they're going to do it, J-Mac. They, yeah, football, ball players are ball players. They're going to play ball. Yeah, you, you, I mean, you, you kick the ball off, you right. blow the whistle, you sing the national anthem. Right. We're going to go play football. Especially, especially when you're in it. And when we were in it, brother, we didn't think about, you know, all the things that came with it. You know, when you're playing, you're not thinking about, you know, the future, not thinking about, okay, five years after I retire, the health insurance is going to be, you know, they're going to take it away and, and all these other things. We don't look at it like that. We're just lining up and play ball. Uh, week to week, we had a different opponent to focus on. So we're not looking at all the other stuff that comes along with it. But like you said, it is a union and it's for the players. You know, I think, you know, we have to take note and be more aware of, you know, the direction this league is going in and we got to get our share of, 
you know, the income and the profits that the league is getting. You know, you mentioned that TV deal. You know, the league is very healthy. You know, mm-hmm. more TV means more, more exposure. But as players who drive the league, who are the fuel of the NFL, uh, what are we getting? You know, what are right. we getting? So that that's a real emphasis that we need to place, you know, an awareness on as as former as former players and current players. And, uh, you know, that's something that remains to be seen. So let's hopefully, you know, this union continues to try to do the right thing for us. Right. And, and um, we'll move on from from that. And just, you know, look, the 17th game is here. Uh, the players are going to do it. They'll figure it out. Uh, I worry about the development of the young guys, especially undrafted guys. I think they increase uh, practice squad. But look, if you don't have padded practice, if you're not out there can't get a going look. full speed, you can't get a look. But look. Um, look, that's it. That's, you know, we'll talk to Duke Mannyweather. And, and, you know, as we go on on this podcast, we'll talk about developing football players. But um J. Mac Ryan Pace and Coach Nagy talked to the media. Uh, most of the questions, obviously, uh, surround Andy Dalton mm-hmm. and, and why they picked him up. And, and a lot of it was just came down to the fact that they thought he was the best guy who fit them schematically for what they did. Yeah, in the words of uh, Ryan Pace, when asked about his thoughts on Andy Dalton, one was his experience. He mentioned the three Pro Bowls, which I know what you're going to say, brother, like we always say on this show. <laughs> he was there, but he was an alternate. Right, he, he was, was not there. a Pro Bowler. He was there by default, but yeah. we'll give it to him, whatever, three Pro Bowls. They said they loved his leadership, his decision-making. He won a lot of games regular season. We already mm-hmm. talked about his playoff uh, his playoff wins uh, or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Uh, his durability mm-hmm. and the main reason, like you just said, brother, he was the right fit for the Bears offense, and that's why – the Bears chose Andy Dalton. Right. And, and the biggest thing I got out of it, J-Mac, when I was listening to them, and obviously um, all these answers, you know, that's why I don't really listen to too many press conferences or whatever. But all these answers, all I kept thinking was, you're not going to win the Super Bowl with Andy Dalton. Right. So even though Andy Dalton is there, hopefully he's there. Hopefully the offense does improve. Uh, eventually you have to get a young guy in here. You have to develop him. Right. Uh, Andy Dalton is not the kind of guy who's going to take you to the Super Bowl and win it. And, and the only thing you can think of is if they're thinking about winning the Super Bowl this year, their plan must be for Andy Dalton uh, to have a Carson Wentz type season mm-hmm. and then Nick Foles to come in and do what he did in Philadelphia to take him to win the Super Bowl because um, Andy Dalton shown through his career who he is, right. uh, what he's about. Um, you know, you just, and then you're listening to Coach Nagy talk about, you know, you know, Mr. Trubisky is not here anymore, developing him. Uh, hopefully everybody learned from that. And you just keep thinking, J-Mac, when I listen to them talk, I keep thinking, they keep they keep saying that they learned from different situations. I think they think, and all everybody up there thinks now that they have improved mm-hmm. from who they were before. Who Ryan Pace was, who Coach Nagy was when they drafted Mr. Biscay, right. when they brought uh, Coach Nagy in here, basically to develop Mr. Biscay to develop the quarterback position was the big selling point on Coach Nagy being here. And now, hopefully, they've all improved and they get another shot. I mean, I get what you're saying too. For me, looking at the press conference and listening to it and, uh, you know, listening to it again and reevaluating it, to me, it was like a sales pitch to the fans and to the whole Chicagoland area trying to continue to sell Andy Dalton as a legitimate quarterback that was truly the right fit that could lead this franchise, uh, back to the playoffs, but even further. And, you know, even Pace talked about, Everyone in the organization viewed Andy Dalton as a starter when he was asked that question. 
So I'm I'm pretty sure that there's some people in that building that when the decision was made, brother O, to bring in Andy Dalton as your quarterback. I'm a hundred percent. I know I'm right on this. Some people in the building was like, no, please don't, please don't. And then they say, the bears say that's all those reasons that I gave you before the experience, the pro bowls, the leadership decision-making, the right fit is the reason why they chose Andy Dalton. No, that's not the reason. The reason why Andy Dalton's in Chicago is because the, the package that you sent to Seattle for Russell Wilson got negated. And then Andy Dalton was the best available free agent available at that time that's why he's here yeah. don't make it seem like he was your target the whole offseason to begin with because you know that's not true Andy Dalton it was the leftovers right right and, quite, you know, quite frankly brother we saw um we saw you know Carolina just trade for Sam Darnold uh they're gonna take a shot at him we'll see what happens with Teddy Bridgewater mm-hmm. uh was was Darnold a better option we saw um Carson Wentz end up with the Colts or was he a better option I just Eventually, you got to get your own guy in here, and you have to develop your own yeah. quarterback. Uh, unless you get lucky, uh, there's one Tom Brady out there, and you bring a guy like that in who changes your whole culture, uh, takes you to the Super Bowl, and everybody wants to play with. But um, in all the years the NFL has been in existence, there's been one Tom Brady, right? So yeah. uh, it's hard to find these kind of guys. Another thing that came out of that um, media availability, Jay Mack, and we're kind of up against the clock with Ottawa Agunli coming up here um, was that Coach Nagy is going to call plays again. That yeah. he, that he's going to take back the play calling. And one thing I looked over real fast and I thought about, okay, now now that's the everybody's frustration, I think, with Coach Nagy. Because I don't know if you saw uh, Ross Tucker came out. Uh, Ross Tucker does a lot of media work nowadays. And basically said, you know, uh, everybody talks about Coach Nagy that he's a bad coach. And a lot of things Ross said was true. You know, he's 28 and 20. He has two playoff berths, berths, uh, never had a losing season. Obviously, the Vikings mm-hmm. didn't play that last game, but that's up for argument when they're eight and eight, right? <laughs> and, you know, you know, he had a quarterback with Ross Tucker was arguing that the rest of the league, no matter what you think about him, no matter what I think about him, he ended up uh, getting $2.5 million to be a backup in Buffalo, yeah. right? So uh, that's what the rest of the league thinks about Mitch Trubisky. Uh, Ross Tucker obviously making that argument. Obviously, I'm watching Russ make the, uh, Ross make that argument. I'm thinking, man, uh, he, he's passionate about this argument. Right. And so I looked Ross up, and he's from, I hope I don't mess this up, but he's from Wyoming, Pennsylvania. Right and and Coach Nagy's from Mannheim, Pennsylvania, <laughs> and they're both forty two years old, and they both played basketball and football. J Mac, oh and I'm gonna tell you, probably like you, when it comes to Hawaii guys, J Mac, I always back them up. Right, right. right? So, so all I'm saying is, I don't blame Ross Tucker for getting his Pennsylvania guy that he grew up oh, with back, but. But let's just put that out there that we all know why you're supporting him so hard there, Ross. Uh, you know, you guys both probably grew up together, knew each other growing up. Anyway, uh, that, that's that's just for Ross Tucker. But he is right on a lot of his points. And I was looking at Coach Nagy, and his first 18 games is a play caller, J-Mac. Mm-hmm. His offense is whether it be Kansas City or here with the Bears in 2018. Uh, they scored 28 points a game. Right. Then Mr. Bissy comes back from injury. They play the Rams there. I think it was week 14, uh, 2018. Uh, since then, uh, the last 30 games, J-Mac, they've averaged 18 points a game. Okay. So what you got to do, and we all go through this, J-Mac, mm-hmm. in the NFL, mm-hmm. even players, you put on film what you are. People learn how to attack that. Right. You struggle for a while. You need to figure out 
what they figured out. You need to work on your weaknesses. You need to attack them. So, J-Mac, here's my advice for Coach Nagy. Go back and watch the 30 games where you've been playing college. Because remember now, Laser took over last year. Yeah. So he only got, I think, 12 games in last year. Um, so he, no, I think he got nine, nine games in play calling last year. And then Laser got the last seven. But he's got to watch those games. He's got to figure out what tendencies these defense corners have figured out from him. And I think where that starts, which is a good sign for Coach Nagy, is I think he hired Mike Pettin for that reason. Yeah, and, and crazy thing, you mentioned that too, and, and during his presser, um, he said, they asked him the question, you know, what is the offensive philosophy? And Nagy said that, you know, they were, they've been busy, uh, est- establishing their identity through self-evaluation. So, you know, evaluating the schemes that they've run, going back, looking at the tape, looking at things they do well, things they didn't do well, what were their tendencies and, and, and their play calling. So Nagy said they were evaluating that. But then he also went, we also went on to say that, they're also going to evaluate what Andy Dalton does well and combine that with what their personnel does well. And you think about it, him saying that now, that's something that you you always do anyway, that you right. should do. Like, that's nothing different. Like, mm-hmm. the identity of a football team takes on the personality of the head coach. And your scheme is based upon the strengths of your personnel. That's offense, defense, special teams. If you got receivers that can't run with it, then you're not going to be throwing the ball down the field. If you got running backs that can't run in between the tackles, then they're going to be out on the perimeter. So you have to tailor your offense geared toward what you have. And if you're a guy who, you know, we talked about this before, you know, Nagy and Kansas City and, you know, being being a uh, Andy Reid protege, you know, trying to run an offense, there's certain guys that we don't have. You know, we don't have Pat Mahomes at quarterback, so there's certain we don't have a you know a tight end like Travis Kelsey. Tyreek Hill. We don't have Tyreek Hill mm-hmm. either. So trying to force that scheme when you first came to Chicago and not having that personnel that fits that offense or that scheme, brother, you're not gonna be successful. So, you know, yeah, is it encouraging to hear Nagy say that they've been doing that self evaluation and gonna combine Dalton's talents with the with the personnel that they have? Yes, but that's something that you should have been doing. Anyway. Right. And and when you take a look at, okay, Mr. Biskey's in Buffalo. Now we're hearing they want to trade Miller. Um, you know, Adam Shaheen down there in Miami. Mm. Uh, you start to worry about developing players, doing what's best for them, right. uh, uh, working on their strengths. And But but we've talked about on this podcast many times that, that this, this, the Bears, George McCaskey, I mean, Ted Phillips, the people running the Bears, they're banking on the fact that Ryan Pace and Coach Nagy have now gotten better right. at, at their jobs from, from experience, from learning from their mistakes. And that's something that they both have to work on. J-Mac, we got to move on to Adewale Agunlia. So, um, you know, we'll come back, obviously, to this subject. Brother, we got a special segment, one that we do quite often on our podcast. We bring back some of our former teammates to kind of find out what they're doing within their lives right now. And we got a special one. Obviously, one of our favorites in the locker room uh, was a, a three-time All-Big Ten player, Brother O. He's in the Indiana Athletics Hall of Fame. Mm. He was a, a pro bowler in 2003. Not also, alternate. Starter. Not starter. No, no, no. We don't do the alternates. But, we but don't to do top the that off, and this is what verifies that, like we mm. talk about alternates, he's also, he also was an All-Pro in 2003 mm. as well. 67 and a half career sacks, Brother O. We witnessed a lot of those. And like we talked to our guy, Brandon Thorne, those were impact sacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another thing, too, he is – 
He has an MBA from George Washington University, and he's also been recently, brother, named the lead for UBS Global Wealth Management's new athletes and entertainment uh, segment. Mm -hmm. And he's also a father of two. Our guy, the man, the myth, the legend, Adewale Ogunlier. Wale, how you doing, brother? Man, I'm good. What an honor. Hey, thanks for that uh, introduction, man. You got your goosebumps going down. Like that, man. <laughs> you know you got to do your right, You got to do it the right way, man. Man, I, hey, any, listen, you call me anytime. I'm coming back on. We're ready. The, the, the thing, Wale, is, is none of that was lies. And, J-Mac, you know the thing about when you're in the locker room with Wale, when you spent as many years as we mm-hmm. did with him, uh, you could see, you know, like this guy was going to, Eventually, after football, right. he was going to do more. And, and Wally, I want to start um, early, early on in your career. And you know, I know your parents being from Nigeria, you being a first generation American. How does mm-hmm. football become part of the Agunlia family? I mean, what sports did you play growing up? What sports did your did your parents love? And how did you get into football? Oh man, Olin, great question, man. Um, you're right, man. My parents are, you know first generation immigrants here to the United States. So American football, you know, when you say football to, to, to Africans, they're thinking soccer, right? What we call soccer. So um, they had no idea of it. My parents actually watched it, a, you know, a few times when coming up and they just thought it was the most barbaric sport they've ever seen in their <laughs> lives and people running into each other. So they, they really could care less about football. Um, but, you know, my you know, I played basketball in high school and 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 a little bit of baseball and and some 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 football. But the, the, the thing about it, my parents were super strict, and they were like, you got you could choose one sport, um, but after you get done with practice, you got to come home. Like it was late, so it's either school, come home, or school and practice and come home. I was like, well, you know, what? I got to have some of a social life, so I just decided to join the football team because all my friends were doing it, and. Um, Crazy thing about it is, you know, freshman year in, in high school, I played receiver, um, was terrible. Um, so they just moved me, it just, it just moved me to safety. Just go hit, just run around and hit people. Um, and I started getting bigger and taller and, um, you know, slowly progressed down to, you know, linebacker and into the, to the D line. Um, and my grades started to slip a little bit. And, um, this is kind of when the first time I realized that I had an opportunity to, to, to go. And it's when I realized that my parents were becoming fans of football. I, um, my, my high school coach talked to my parents. My parents said, we're about to pull him out of football. His grades are slipping. And my high school coach says, Hey, listen, let's, let's give him, you know, a probational period because I think by the time he's a senior, he's going to be able to go to college for free. Mm. And when my parents heard free, Mm. And that's when they became the biggest football fans you'll ever <laughs> see in the world. Yeah. They were like a free education, the American dream that we're, you know, because they're, they're still paying for their college at that time. They're still paying for the, their colleges that they came here for. So they were like, all right, let's go. Let's do it. Um, I got my grades up and um, the, the rest is history. So now we're all big fans of the, of the sport. And I want to go back into that a little bit while I like, talking about going to school for free. You landed at Indiana uh, University. Talk about your development there and when you actually knew you had an opportunity to, to further your career and, and possibly play in the NFL. Man, you know, it's a, it's a blessing. You know, I'm speaking to you too, man. I mean, you, it's like I'm speaking, speaking to preaching to the choir. You guys exactly know, you know, that feeling, but. The truth of the matter is, you know, you get out of high school, you know, the chance of you making it to Division One 
um, football, it's, it's, it's not amazing. It's not a great chance that you're going to do it. And then finally, when you get to college, you know, even if you have aspirations to play in, in the NFL, you know, 1%, less than one of those guys that make all Division One, and you know, throw some Division Two guys in there too, make it to the pro. So, you know, my thing was, let me just continue to play football. Let me get this degree out of Indiana and let me, you know, get out of here. But the same kind of thing that happened to me in my sophomore year that happened to me when I was in high school, I was walking past, I had, you know, I redshirted my freshman year. Um, I had an amazing, the next, you know, two years, I had some, some all big 10 years and I'm passing a, uh, an Atlanta Falcon scout in the hallway. Mm. And the guy looks at me and he's like, Hey, listen, um, there was a player that we had named Nate Davis. I mean, 6'6", 330-pound defensive end, ran a 4'6", I'm like, the guy was amazing. Should have been the first pick of the draft, in my opinion, but just, you know, had some other issues in his life um, that we can't go into right here. But um, he said, the scout said, hey, listen, I'm here for, you know, to see Nate, but I, if you keep playing the way you play, same way that my high school coach told my parents, you keep playing the way you play, I think I'm going to come back uh, we'll be back. We'll be back to see you. Mm-hmm. And that's where I don't know what happened. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and Jay. But when I heard that, that's when the battery <laughs> got put in my back. I said, whoa, I might play in the NFL. Now, from that moment on, that was my that was my my dream. I was like, I got to go. Someone, a scout that had the, the Atlanta Falcons symbol on his shirt, said he may be back to see me. I said, okay, yeah, I'm going to make sure you come back to see me. Hey, Wally, um, I, I remember so, I came hmm. off suspension. Again, we won't talk about why. Anyway, <laughs> in college. Not and, a shock, and I, <laughs> Not a shock, Wally. I know, man. Anyway, um, and, and the coach said, we're moving you to center. And I was like, and I'm making sure because this is about Wally, but it reminded me of it. He mm-hmm. said, you know, um, I said, I don't want to play center. He said, Olin, you play center? you'll play in the NFL. And I looked at him and I left the meeting like, was he talking about me? <laughs> Wait, was he talking about me? Wait, he was talking about, yeah. was he talking about the kid from Honolulu? Like what? Yes. I think he's confused. Yes. 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 <laughs> anyway, well, uh, yeah. uh, so you had Indiana, man. Um, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're having a great run, obviously 34 and a half sacks. I think that's probably still the record there. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're projected, you come back, you could have got drafted, but you decide you're going to come back, make it, maybe take a yep. shot at being a mm-hmm. top 10 pick. And all yep. of a sudden you get that knee injury, uh, tear three ligaments, you get staph mm-hmm. infection. Mm-hmm. Uh, take uh-huh. us through that time in your life, man, where like you were just, um, you know, you end up an undrafted free agent. Uh, talk mm-hmm. about building resilience and, and learning how to come back and pick yourself off off the mat. Just take us through a little bit of that time in your life. Man, you guys did your homework, man. You guys all the way down to the staff infection. <laughs> listen, um, you guys know. Hey, listen, okay, I didn't know you were that interesting. I was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> man, I know, you know, I know I appreciate it. So I, you know, I'm having that, you know, decent career at Indiana University. You know, we, we suck as a, as a team. Um, we're not winning any money games, but, you know, obviously – you know, I'm doing my thing and I'm big man on campus, right? I'm, I'm that guy, right? That's the time where, you know, I, you know, agents are coming. Mel Kuyper tells me, hey, you stay and you're going to be like my top, in our top 10, in my top 10 draft, yeah. uh, uh, pre-draft, mock draft. I'm like, top 10. And that's when rookies were making, uh, there was no salary cap on rookies. Like people were getting those big yeah. contracts right out of mm-hmm. college, right? Mm-hmm. So I was thinking like, you know what? Uh, I'm big man on campus. The girls love me. Um, I'm not ready to give that up yet. 
Um, let me stay another year and um, have a good time. We haven't played. I haven't been to a bowl game yet. So let me go finish what we're going to do. We had a, uh, a young quarterback named Antoine Randallel who was exciting and I thought like this might be the year that we, you know, we take it over, take it over the hump. So I come back and, um, and what happens next is, you know, I, I had some three, I had three great years already at, at defensive end. My senior year, I was blowing those numbers out of the water. I think I finished with like, I think eight sacks in a year, but it's still like game six mm. and um, blew my knee out game six. So I was having the best year of my life senior year, blew my knee out. Um, I'm laying on the ground uh, and I grabbed my, my thigh because I'm like, what the hell just happened? And I look at my, and I grab my thigh and my the bottom half of my, 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 my leg is just waving in the wind. Mm. And uh, my doctor at the time must have saw the injury because he comes immediately and, and injects me right there on, on the field. I mean, I mean, I don't know if you can do stuff like that now. So he injected with some type of pain medicine. Wow. He's like, he's like, yo, you're gonna need this. I'm like, oh my goodness. So I get off rehab. I mean, even not rehab. Go into. And I feel bad about this. I go into get my X-ray, and you know the X-ray technician is not allowed to to tell tell you anything that's going on. And um, I ask the X-ray technician, like, hey, what what happened? Like, is it how bad is it? And the X-ray technician is like. Um, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Mm. You tore every single ligament in your knee. Yes. So, all right, cool. I'm still not really tripping. I'm just like, okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. Let me see what the doctor says because this guy's just a technician. So doctor comes in. He's like, hey, so listen, so there are some tears, but it's not so bad. I was like, yo, I don't want to hear that shit. I don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. Technician just told me I'm done, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I get the guy fired because... Um, I couldn't keep my my mouth shut. <laughs> I couldn't keep you my mouth find shut. That guy, Wally, man, you gotta well, find I know, that I know. Guy. So right. if he, if whoever that technician was at Bloomington that um that did my X-ray, listen, <laughs> I owe you a a, a debt of uh just a big debt. So please look look for me, and I I will I will pay your dinner or something on me. I mean, what's the dinner gonna do? Right, you lost your job. Um, oh, but man. something oh, like we'll, we'll, we'll give him a steak. He lost his job. You want to give him a steak? Oh, give him a gosh. steak. I know, man. Hey, cut him, cut him off too. No dessert, bro. No oh, dessert. My oh my goodness, uh, yeah. I'm I'm looking at the bill. Like whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down. No, um, <laughs> no. But fast forward, you know, I and then you know I get a I get a staph infection. Mm. So now the doctor's like, listen, if we don't get rid of the staff, we're just going to have to remove the whole knee joint. Oh, man. Like, oh my God. So for the next six months, I got a nurse coming to my house, 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and putting an IV bag of medicine through my body every day mm. for like six months because the staff infection was that strong. Mm. Um, couldn't rehab, went to the combine. I was down to like 215 pounds at my biggest weight at uh, Indiana. I was like 280. So anyway, long story short, that happens. Um, draft day comes. Uh, I'm still thinking I'm going to get drafted. You know, I get a call from the New York Jets in the second round, like, hey, we're about to take you. Then I get a call five minutes later, like, listen, if we don't take you in the second round, think about signing with us as a free agent. That's when I knew something was wrong, right? Second round, you're telling me to sign as a free agent. Um, they went back to my records. 
and I think the doctor at the 49ers gave me like a fail. Like, don't do it. There's no chance, right? So from that moment, everyone saw the red flag. I go from, you know, being a, a projected first-round draft pick to being an undrafted free agent. Um, that process was very demoralizing in a sense that, you know, you see the Mel Kuyper drafting that he said, he had me number one. He had me the number one guy coming out. If you go back to look at his, his mock draft, I was his number one pick. Mm. My num- his number two pick was Courtney Brown of, uh, like out of Penn State, defensive end. Mm. And Courtney Brown winds up being the number one draft pick, right? Um, so uh, I'm, you know, as I look back at that career, though, I look at the, my, my career and then I look at even, you know, not to, to knock on Courtney Brown, like Courtney Brown's career and his sack total in the NFL – and I realized at the end of the day, you know what, it's not really how you start, man. It's really just how you finish. And the hard work and the determination um, um, put me in a place where, you know, I was able to come back from that horrific injury. Yeah, that's a, man, that's a great testament of resiliency, man. I mean, I hope there's some kids listening, you For know, because sure. a lot of kids now, I mean, you know, I, I coach football while I now, and I got kids who, you know, they, they hurt their fingernail, fingernail and they're yes, running yes, to the trainer. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, it's just a yes, mindset yes. and mentality. And obviously, uh, your career speaks for, for itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a testament to you and your hard work. And, you know, we were, me and brother were witnesses of, of sure. you know, a lot of those sacks in your career. So that's the true mm-hmm. testament of, of the man you are, man. And, you know, that story, man, I just appreciate you sharing that story with us. And you know, I want to transition a little bit away from football. And I want mm-hmm. to talk about what you're doing now in the financial world. Uh, talk about your role at UBS Management. I think it's awesome. You know, I read the article that you being the lead there and some of the things that mm-hmm. you guys are doing, I think is, is phenomenal to help out, you know, professional athletes, but also entertainers. Yeah, man. Great. Thank you for um, bringing this up. And um, one, it's an honor to talk to, to, to you because I really, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you guys are some warriors that we went to battle with together. Um, you know, and knowing that some of the skills that we've learned through football and I tell you, you know, I, you talk about the young kids, I tell young kids all the time, like these skills that you learn from football are so easily transferable throughout the rest of your life. Right. And, um, what I've been able to do is take things that I've learned of hard work, you know, de- determination, being able to be criticized every, you know, every snap that we've taken, um, someone, uh, was 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 criticizing our hand placement, our eye placement, our foot placement, um, and we just took it and shook our head and said, "Okay, coach, I'm gonna be better." You know, we realized that you know when we had a, a person not speaking to us, they might have already given up on you. So mm. I take that and I've taken all those those skills and I've transitioned that into uh, the corporate world. And the reason how we even got here, um, O and J, is that. After I got done with the, with the Bears, and to be honest with you, man, um, you know, we made a, a decent amount of money. I didn't still understand what the hell I was doing fi- financially and, and investment-wise. I say this joke all the time. You know, a financial advisor would tell me, like, hey, I'm going to charge you, you know, let's just say 50 basis points. And I would just shake my head. You know, I'm an alpha male. Uh, you know, I'm, on a, I'm, a, I'm a defensive end on – the Chicago Bears, right? You know, they're tough type stuff. And how the hell, like, I got millions in the bank and and someone's asking me, do I know something about my money? I'm just shaking my head. But the truth of the matter is I knew nothing of it. So I went back to school just so I could understand what the hell these advisors were talking about. Because, you know, they talked to me. I mean, I don't know German, so it felt like it was just a foreign language. Um, I just want to understand. I just wanted to understand what the hell they were telling me about my finances. Realize that there might be an opportunity after that, that the industry, I think, when it comes to the financial industry, really overlooks um, this segment. 
they look at a guy like you, Olin, and then you, Jay, really to me as a lot of times as just a transaction, right? Like mm-hmm. how much can we get out of him? Um, how much can we, product can we get him to buy, to sell, whether it's Amazon or uh, some other stocks or even our, you know, our own products that we're selling within the firm. And I felt that um, with UBS being, you know, the biggest global wealth manager in the world, it's like, I think they got like $3 trillion. And I say this joke all the time, it's like UBS, I knew nothing of it. When I heard UBS, I thought it was like, you know, I, I got to put on a brown suit and drive around in a brown truck, like, and deliver packages. They were like, no, this is, this is like the biggest wealth firm in the world. And I, and I, I kind of was pissed off that I didn't know about it. And I think like, why are they keeping this away from, you know, certain type of people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, let's, let's, let's do some digging. And I went back. Um, I had now become a client. And I said, listen, I appreciate the good way you guys treat me. As you know, you're not treating me as a uh, football player. You're not a fan of me. You're actually treating me as an entrepreneur. And that's what we are. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we have a brand. Um, we're businessmen. We're business savvy. I mean, even you, you guys continue to uh, recreate yourselves. And um, it's evident with the podcast. And, you know, I follow you guys on social media. Um, but that's just something that's inside of us, right? And we need the industry to, to realize that Olin Cruz has to be successful. Why does Olin Cruz have to be successful? Because he made a ton of money in the NFL? No, because he he's from Honolulu, Hawaii. <laughs> and there's a community of people there looking at him mm. like, you made it out? Don't come back here um, empty-handed. And when I mean empty-handed, I mean don't come back here not being able to teach us how we ourselves can get out. Mm. And too many times in our communities, J-Mac, um, we come from places where it's not sweet. Yeah. And we made it out and we, we've got all this money, but there's a guilt factor involved. And I feel like, how do I brag about having nice things? But I know that half my family back at home or half my family in Nigeria or my family in New York can't have the things that I have. So help me understand that. Help me understand that guilt. Help me understand that I need to have this money last for generations to come so that I can take my family finally out of that that realm of not having stuff. Um, and as a financial firm, you guys have the resources to do it. And then UBS said, you know what, Wale, we love, we love what you're talking about. Why don't you take your experiences, your hard work, and let's build this thing from the ground up. We already have athletes mm-hmm. and entertainers at our firm, but we don't have this uh, passion to really get involved in our clients' lives. And UBS said, hey, go ahead and take it. And I said, and I don't know how it happened, guys, to be honest with you, but as long as I'm here, man, I'm just going to make sure that I try to do the best that I can for um, for for athletes that that will like us and entertainers the same way that I feel like there, there's some gaps that need to be filled in within the financial world, and, and that's what you know I'm going to try to do. Yeah, mm. you know, Wally, when I saw it, uh, you know, I reached out immediately, and I you know, I said <laughs> Wally said he was starting this program mm. to help you know, younger guys and guys in the NFL and entertainers become financially literate, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a lot of us, like Wally just explained, aren't, right? Yeah. And, and the problem really is, we like Wally saying, we have nowhere to go with people we trust right. 
who would yeah. actually understand what we're talking about because most of us from places that most people don't have a lot. So all of a sudden yeah. you have all this money, you don't know what to do with it, and you have to trust people you've never met in your life. And to get a guy like Wale who actually has the scars, right. and this guy in, in um, Ohio named John Quint always tells me that the guys with the scars, the guys who've been through it, the guys who played the game, who you know came from somewhere with no money, and all of a sudden have my understand what you're going through. But I reached out immediately, J Mac, and I was like, "You guys started that for the retired guys too, Wally. Yeah, now we right. need, we all yeah. we all need help." Yeah. But uh, Wally, talk about how you provide, how you surround these younger guys or even guys in the NFL. What kind of ecosystem you surround them with, uh, so they know they can reach out immediately when they have a question and uh, get the answer that they need that they can't get from anywhere else in their life. Yeah, great, great question. I think I think ultimately. The problem is this, and you, you hit it on the head, you know, uh, oh, is that it's so hard when you don't know and you get all this money to even trust people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jay, you, you, know, you went to Temple, so you were right there in Philly. You mm-hmm. see these communities that um, a lot of our, our athletes come from. Yeah. Um, it's hard to trust anybody. So the first thing that I'm trying to do, oh, is just at least one, gain our trust by telling people, stop. Don't invest with in anything that you do not understand. Just number one, let's just get that. Mm. And then let's have a dialogue, a real conversation to where we can start dissecting what finances really is, what is financial management really means, what financial literacy is. And then I think that in itself um, um, becomes where the industry starts to gain the trust of these young individuals. Um, but you guys know, let's not be these old men that don't know the truth. We know when we were younger, it's so hard when you're in it, right? When you're yeah. just signed your big ca- contract from Virginia McCaskey and her family mm-hmm. that you don't want to focus on anything but knocking people's heads out on the field. Um, uh, this year, this, this time and in, in era has changed, guys. Like the social media aspect of it, people now having their brands in their own hands. The amount of money you can make off the field um, and, and not have to only solely de- uh, rely on, on, this, on these teams m- makes it more important that we have these conversations with um, the, the youth that are coming up and with the veterans too. Like, listen, if you don't understand, it's never too late to just stop and say, you know what? Let me get control of my finances. Mm. Let me start getting the answers. Hey, Wale, what do you think about this? You know what? I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't I know the truth. I don't know the answer. But you know what I do have? I have this firm that's the biggest in the world in wealth management. I'm going to get you the answer. Mm. And then the answer I'm going to get you, we're going to talk about it in layman terms that you can take it home to your mother and to your grandmother and to your, and to your family and explain to them exactly what you're doing with your money. So um, it's a great opportunity that I have. At the end of the day, Olin, who knows how long we have in, 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 on this world. But as long as I'm here, whether it's 15 minutes or, you know, uh, four or five years, um, I think it's our job to, 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 to put the information and, and try our best to, to, to lean back um, and help the, these younger generations. And, and, and you said it earlier too, Jason, like, we get it. They, they haven't been through much. Um, you give them a little resistance. And I don't want like, to be an old, an old fart here, but the truth of the matter is, I'm just going to call it real a little resistance on the, on the younger generation, you know, they push and they scream and they, you know, they, they scream at the top of their lungs, like, you know, you're killing me, but they don't understand <laughs> that right. a little bit of 
uh, 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 hard work and some scarring makes you so much stronger and ready for the world, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what we're trying to do is just give these, give our athletes and entertainers just some of the tools so that they're ready for, for everything that comes at them, um, both um, personally and, uh, and publicly for them. Well, hey, man, that's phenomenal, man. I hope some of these young athletes, some of these young players uh, coming into this league really, you know, listen to this podcast, but also, you know, coming from a guy like Brother said who's been in the trenches, who, who's been out there on the field, you know, who's had financial ups and downs and now is a, is a direct resource to uh, break things down for us in our terms, you know, something that we've never had, something that athletes, you know, they're, they kind of shy away from it because we don't understand. We feel embarrassed. And I know a lot of times with me personally, like, you know, talking to my financial advisor, he's speaking a different language, but I, you almost act like you know what they're saying, but you don't. <laughs> and the sad thing, brother, is your money that they're, they're working with. So, yeah. you know, that's a testament to you, Wale, man. I really appreciate you doing that. Um, that's coming from me, but I hope some of these young athletes do take advantage of what you guys are providing. Um, so now I want to talk about the Bears, and I want to talk about this Bears defense. Um, what are some of the similarities you see from the Bears defense now and the, one that, and the ones that you played on? Um, you know, obviously, I, I see that a lot of it has to do with having tough-nosed players. Um, I really think at the end of the day that when we played, I think our defense um, was an extension of our offensive line and our, our, our running backs and the running back room. Like It was just some, something special about what we had going on. And I see, I see you know, glimpses of that on this team, right, with the defense having to, you know, try to um, um, put together a good enough game for, you know, a quarterback that might not be as, um, uh, I don't want to kill the kid, but, but just, just, might, just not putting points up on the board, right? And um, at the end of the day, that kind of style uh, wears on you. It does. It wears on the defense. So I, I, I get that. Um, but w- what I do see is that there are some really – key players that are still in their prime. And I think if, if we're going to maximize on a guy like Khalil Mack, who I still think is, you know, the top of the top of the game uh, and, you know, Hakeem and um, now Robert Quinn, I, I think now's the time to get some, get some things going at the team. Cause I, I think this is going to be our sweet spot. Right. And then, we all know it. After after you don't hit that 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 Super Bowl or win that Super Bowl, it's time to rebuild, right? Um, and I think our defense is probably at that cusp of um, this is probably going to be the last couple of years where these guys are going to be able to, to do it at a at a high level. Hey, Wally, I, I was thinking about, and I I can't think about anybody better to ask this question. I was thinking about when a guy you know signs with a new team. Obviously, you got traded in two thousand and four mm-hmm. for Marty Booker and a third round pick, and then you come in and you know just kind of like you know Robert Quinn didn't have the greatest year last year. He played with Akeem Hicks, mm-hmm. Bilal Nichols, Khalil mm-hmm. Mack. They got a lot of money in that front mm-hmm. seven, and, and some of the, well, most of their disappointment last year I think was because the front seven didn't really dominate so you know talk mm-hmm. to talk to people help them understand how someone has to try to fit into a pass rush and where maybe Robert Quinn in his second year can be a lot better than he was in his first year I know you doubled your sacks yep. from yep. 2004 to 2005 and I think some mm-hmm. of that is just understanding how to work together with the guys you're playing with 
Yeah, I think, you know, and two, yeah, that's, that's a lot of it. I, I too think that the pressure, though, of playing in Chicago um, is there, there is something there. There's a mystique there with the team. Um, you guys, I mean, I love you, but it, I didn't come in and you guys just opened up and put out the red carpet for me, right? It was like, um, I don't care who the hell this guy is. <laughs> I put the red carpet for everybody, Wale. <laughs> no, 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 you don't. No, no, you don't. No, you don't. Speak the truth, um, Wale. Don't let no, no, you don't. Um, it, it, and I loved it. It's like, um, good for you. You got a good contract, um, but you got to prove it here, sir. Like, we, we get it in. And um, even though, you know, we, at the time we were still struggling as, as, a, as a unit, we had some hardworking people and that I had to come in and prove. I did tear my, you know, I tore a ligament in my ankle that first year at Chicago, which added to the pressure, um, which I probably should have shut down earlier. But once you get that contract, you're almost pressing. Like, I got to, like, like um, Chicago media is by far the nastiest um, um, media that I faced coming out of from Miami. Like, Miami compared to Chicago media, it's, it's, it's nothing um, to, the, to how serious Chicago takes their sport, especially their football, their Bears. So, um, seeing, you know, being lackluster that first year, so I know the pressure Robert's going through right now. Like, he's, he has um, the history of playing Chicago's defense on his back. He has having, to what people would say, a, a very uh, unstellar first year in the Bears and people, you know, you know basically saying, you know, who's this guy? Um, but I think you're right, Olin, um, and obviously, you, you know, you, you understand it. This is probably going to be his sweet spot where he's comfortable with the team. He's comfortable with his teammates. He's comfortable with the city. Um, and, uh, and I think this is where now he is going to be able to practice a little bit better, um, understanding the schemes and really how to go through a season of playing in Chicago, right? That field's not the best field. Now he knows that for sure. Um, um, he, he knows that, you know, early on is, is going to be you know, good weather. And then, and then the next, you know, half of the season, going to be bare football right bear down get after these quarterbacks um and, and and still try to make some type of big plays so i think this will be a, obviously we're not think this is going to be a big year for him um but uh, i understand the pressures that he might have faced last year and and, and because i went through it um I, and then like you said I, I was able to double my stocks that second year i was so much more comfortable in that locker room and i think that's what that it showed on the field well, like, we got one last question before we let you go. A fun one here. Uh, what's harder, chasing down a quarterback or being a father of two? <laughs> Man, give me chasing that quarterback every single day. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, my four-year-old, I'm still like, we're still not understanding the pottying thing. Like, he's, I don't think he's not even understanding that right now. That's the hardest thing I've ever faced in my life. My oh, daughter, man. she was smooth, breezy. But, you know, she's like, oh, well, I don't want to tinkle on myself. So she's good. My son? Oh, man. <laughs> hey, and, and we'll come, and we'll come sit on the couch. And we'll come sit on the couch. 
Hey, they figure it out, no. man. Don't rush it. Don't rush it. Enjoy no, it, man. I won't. I won't. Hey, I man. Won't. Wally, thank you. Thank you, man. Um, obviously, uh, you know, for me and J-Mac, we want to get you on. Uh, we knew, we know you have a great story, but we want to share your story mm-hmm. on our podcast. You're doing amazing work, man. That, that financial literacy is huge for players. It's huge for everybody, really. Something nobody knows. And, and just uh, keep pounding that rock on that, man, because they need it, as you know. And, and like you said, we try to act like we don't, but we do. And I just, you know, good, good luck with everything you're doing, man. And, you know, just obviously the best to you and your whole family. Listen, thank you so much, man. And in, in closing, just let me just say this to you too. Um, Jay, Mac, man, when I got to Chicago, man, you, 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 you know, basically um, became instant friend to me. And thank you for your friendship throughout this time. Um, Olin, you um, are by far one of the, the best leaders I've ever seen. And um, you put on your hard hat every single day. You came to work um, and uh, you, you got dirty, man. And I, the, the respect level that I had for you, I know I probably never told you why we were in, the, in, in that locker room, but the respect level that I had for you was uh, a, a trillion, man. You were an amazing player, amazing leader, um, and um, thank you for, for being a great teammate, man. And um, it's an honor to play with both of you guys. Now, while I nothing but blessings to you, man. Thanks for your time, man. It's always good to catch up with you, man. And, and keep doing big things, man. Trust me, we're following you, man. And mm-hmm. we wish you nothing but success, man. And we're always here if you need us, man. For sure. Anytime. Anytime. Appreciate it, Wale, man. Thank you, man. The best way to celebrate winning plays and touchdown is with Tequila Embajador. That's my way of celebrating. If you want to make the right play call, go online and order your bottle of Tequila Embajador at www.embajadortequila.com slash buy-online-html and enter the discount code NONAMEPOD and receive your 10% discount on each bottle, purchase, or 50% off with a purchase of two bottles. Tequila Embajador where every sip is made to comfort the soul. Well, J. Mac, man, um, you know I've been excited for this guy to come on the podcast because anybody who dedicates his life to, to offensive line play and making offensive linemen better and studying the game from that angle. Uh, obviously, you already know how I'm going to feel about that guy. Uh, we got here, uh, J Mac, you know, he's, uh, he, he, he does the final five for Nike. All, he helps, uh, old linemen, young old linemen, uh, get better at what they're doing. Um, he does scouting and development consultant for offensive linemen around the NFL, college kids coming out of college, going to the NFL. Mm. Oh, here we got with us, uh, the Dwayne, Big Duke, Mannyweather. What's up, bro? Oh, man, guys. I think, thank you for having me, man. Olin, uh, you know, we've had some great conversations over the years, and um, I'm excited that I'm able to be on the podcast and contribute uh, uh, just a little insight on what O-line play is all about, maybe some of the draft um, stuff that we want to talk about, too. So I'm excited for this. Yeah, dude, thanks for joining us, man. I, I was looking at some of your stuff, and I really respect what you're doing. I find it, it's really awesome, man. And, and I want to talk about, in particular, the Offensive Line Mastermind Summit. I mean, just, just watching the clips and, and some of the things you're doing there really blew my mind on on how you bring you know a lot of the top guys together uh, under one roof, under one uh, in one room, and you guys share secrets of success and how to make each other better. better. Uh, just talk about that that, uh, that summit that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, some of the old school approach is kind of, you know, our work goes unnoticed. But we don't need to boast about it. We don't need to brag about it. And that's fine. To a certain extent, 
I mean, to be honest with you, what we share with masterminds and even a lot of our training is just it's teasers. We don't really give you guys proprietary nitty gritty. So we do still keep a level of secrecy, proprietary, and uh, just overall within the trade, kind of close to the belt. With that being said, we want to provide something that has never been done before. And that was the ultimate professional development for all offensive linemen. And we want to do that through something that was very near and dear to me, and that's through the mastermind principle. So when you talk about the mastermind principle and Napoleon Hill's original vision for bringing a mastermind together, um, where he says two or more people come together with a common goal, success becomes uh, inevitable and it dissipates failure. So that's what it was all about, the kind of sharing best practices, um, sharing the stories, the tricks of the trade, uh, but then even just learning how to have, you know, the difficult conversations that men and professionals need to have. Uh, being able to handle the media, be able to handle the ebbs and flows and highs and lows that the NFL may present to you. Because there's going to be guys that are going to be physically ready to step into the NFL. But the difference, as you guys know, is always going to be that mental makeup. So we try to develop and provide these guys tools um, that are going to allow them to come in from the day one and kind of hit the ground run. And the way we do that is we do it through three ways. You can train the body, you can train the craft, and you cannot forget to train the mind. But once you train all three of those holistically from the ground up, giving these guys what they need, again, it puts them on a fast track. You bring in young guys into the fold with veterans that have done it for seven, eight, nine, ten years, double-digit years, have been in multiple systems, have seen it all and done it all within the NFL. And to be able to have those young guys pick their brains and to be able to say, all right, you're going to line up against this defender who typically gave me issues my first two times facing him. I'm going to give you a fast track of what to stay away from. That way you don't make the same mistakes I made early on. So when we start to do that and we compile that, we've done it for three and four years now, and that data starts to get together, those best practices start to get together. Now what we're doing is recreating a system and a blueprint and a, a template for now our younger guy that maybe came in our program two years ago are now starting to get in that role and that mode of sharing with the younger guys that may come in now. And so bringing guys like Olin around, and we brought in brother Jesse Tupulu last year, and Brian Baldinger, those are all guys that, you know, we look up to growing up, and especially Jesse in the uh, Polynesian community. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was it was invaluable information and just a tremendous asset to have uh, Jesse there with 15 years. And you could argue, argue that, you know, he should be in some consideration at some point for a Hall of Fame, depending on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just based upon what he did as a guard and as a center for how long he did it in those championship uh, caliber teams. So that's really what the O-line mastermind is all about. It's in the true essence of the mastermind principle, which Napoleon Hill talked about some 70, 80 years ago. And we really take that to heart in terms of our development and being so inclusive of offensive line. Because as you know, offensive line is the team within the team. It's five guys as one with a common goal, 10 sets of eyes, but everybody has to be on to make it click. And so we want to, kind of emulate that in a professional setting um, that still allows vulnerability for guys to really ask the questions that they want to ask that they may not be able to ask in their whole line room, to be able to walk and talk through maybe some of the stuff that they saw, you know, a Teron Armstead or a Lane Johnson do last Sunday against a guy that they may have coming up week one. 
just a tremendous opportunity to learn and grow. I mean that that was it's a it's an amazing idea, man. Duke man. And um, you talk about Jesse Sapolo, obviously growing up on a wall in Hawaii, J Mac, uh, guy I looked up to. Obviously coming up, you know, just seeing a guy make it off the island, uh, win Super Bowls. Uh, obviously played the center position. But uh, Duke, I want to take you back uh, and just kind of get a get our listeners a feeling for uh, how you came up that you were going to just focus on O-line play, help develop these athletes. I know you uh, played at Humboldt State. Uh, I know you became a strength coach there. Uh, I think your first O-line coaching job, just kind of looking it over a little bit, was at a college of Redwoods, if I'm wrong, correct me. but uh, And then, you know, I know you worked a little bit with Charles Bentley there out at O-line Performance, uh, kind of a guy who started a lot of this revolution of O-line play and adding a strength coach mentality to it. And I think I read that you ended up work, working with uh, the uh, – Mitchell and Jeff Schwartz and just kind of take us through how you came to where you are now and just kind of maybe people who actually want to do that kind of stuff and help young kids and help offensive line play uh, how they can develop the skills you've developed yeah absolutely first I've got to I got to say that um, you hit the nail on the head in terms of the, the timeline and everything um, but it's not an easy road and the reason why it's not an easy road is because in this current climate and it may be a little different now because, like, now people feel like they're free to do and say whatever they want with no ramifications. So I think in a lot of ways that's going to be a good thing for guys that want to go on the trajectory or gals that want to go on the trajectory that I did. So when I was coming up, um, and, and I mean, you guys could probably relate to this, it was you went to school, you got your degree. If you didn't make it in the NFL, you got a whatever job or whatever it is you're going to do, and you got to it. Well, what I started to realize is that I was always an undersized guy um, in terms of being an O-liner. But what I could get directly control is how hard I worked in the weight room on my skill and then having a mastery level of the scheme. That allowed me to play faster and to process faster. So I really took that to heart as a player. And I made that a point of emphasis when I got into coaching is understanding those are the, the characteristics that any and everybody can execute. How hard they work in the weight room, how hard they work on their craft, and having a mastery level of what they're asked to do in terms of schematic wise. Doesn't matter the talent level at all. Everybody has an equal and a fair opportunity to execute those things. So that's kind of what I built my principles on in terms of mastering. Again, we talked about the body, we talked about the craft and the mind, and that's kind of always been within me. So when I got into coaching, um, my first college coaching job was College of the Redwoods. Um, inherited a, a really good um, staff there that was a veteran staff that really taught me how to relate to players and said, listen, man, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much you know. As long as these guys know how much you care and you can relate, that they'll run through a building for you. And it took me a while to realize that, uh, but they were right. They were right. Those guys had so much experience. Um, and once I learned how to relate and how to you know, treat them as people and, and, and men first. I still talk to a lot of the guys that I coached in my first O-line run, which was, shit, 2007 or 8. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so when you look at that, uh, you look at that, and uh, I was pulling double duty then. So I was coaching at College of the Redwoods in the, in the afternoon as the O-line coach and run game coordinator. But in the, in the meantime, I was, kind of interning with the legendary Drew Peterson as an assistant strength coach at my alma mater, Humble State, which was about 30 minutes up the road. So I was pulling double duty, um, learning a lot from Drew, um, learning the coaching thing as I went on. But again, 
the coaching has always kind of been in me. I've kind of always been a student of the game, even when I was in high school. So that was like easy for me. Uh, and I really kept that on for three years and then transitioned full time to Humboldt State as a D line coach. Just took over from, uh, Solomon and Tupperstar. Uh, Coach Taft, tremendous D line coach, uh, really well respected in the, uh, D line world and also, you know, the Polynesian community. So took over for Coach Taft and then, uh, was pulling double duty there. So I would be, you know, assistant strength coach under Drew Peterson and then got into, you know, being a D-line coach. And what D-line taught me was a whole different world of coverages and what defenders were trying to do and what we were presenting and what the different fronts and the shifts and the shades meant. It opened a whole new world to me as far as offensive line and offensive line development. So I was very thankful for that. Uh, jumping into it during that same period, I started a website called Beyond the Combine. And Beyond the Combine was so out of the box because what it did was it was my brainchild to include exactly what I've been saying. When I did evaluations on guys, I talked about their strengths. I talked about their weaknesses. I talked about what could be fixed biomechanically. I talked about what could be fixed movement prep. And so what I was doing is I was taking everything that I had learned by trial and error as a player and then as an assistant strength coach and then kind of as an evaluator. And I would make that into a report that was kind of a projection for development and not so much this is who this guy was. Mm. And what ended up happening is as a couple of years went on, those projections ended up being spot on and it didn't garner much attention, but it did kind of catch the attention of Latrell Bentley as he was trying to move into um, um, his O-line academy to eventually what, what it is now. And so we kind of wrapped and crossed paths. Um, you know, we had a mutual connection, Taylor Bogg. And uh, Bald kind of connected us, and we spoke the same language in terms of what the body was capable of, what was able to be fixed, what was not able to be fixed. And so after we wrapped it up and, uh, you know, had a great conversation that went on probably for about a year, um, I ended up stepping a full-time position out there full-time um, after going back and forth in Arizona, when he moved to Arizona for a little bit. So I think I ended up moving out there full-time, like maybe April or May of 2013, something like that. And uh, we really hit the ground running. Uh, and uh, I learned a lot. It was a lot of fun times. But, you know, all good things most come to an end and be done away with so that great things can enter your life. And so that's what happened to me. The best thing that ever happened to me is uh, being fired or whatever the fuck you want to say happened uh, uh, from Arizona and O-line performance because it put me on the trajectory to, to where I am now, which I've never changed my message. Um, it stayed the same. That's to be a certain leader towards these old linemen and continue to get them better from the ground up. Talking about, again, mind, body, and skill. And that's really been the ultimate focus, no matter if I'm working with a high school guy, a college guy, or a professional guy. It's to be able to give them that experience and reinforce those principles or those three things that they can control, how hard they work on their skill, how hard they work on their craft, and then having a mastery level of understanding about the nuances of the position in the game and the scheme. Again, it takes no talent at all to be able to work towards and execute those. So that's really what we hang our hat on. Yeah, that's awesome, Duke. I, I want to talk about going to more about, you know, some of the guys that you work with, uh, two guys in particular that are slated to be first round picks this year and Rashawn uh, Slater and uh, Penny Sewell. Uh, talk about some of the traits they uh, they possess that make them 
first round talents and why you feel they may be cornerstones for whatever franchise uh, that drafts them? Yeah, two very separate players that provide it's ice cream at this point, man. It depends. Like you walk in the Baskin Robin, <laughs> and you make like three or four different ice cream flavors, but whatever your flavor is for that day, um, that's what you're gonna walk away with. And mm-hmm. so for me, when I look at Rashawn and Panay, you can't go wrong. Um, it depends on what flavor of ice cream you like. If you like consistency, athleticism, a person that's really clear on who they're gonna be, um, a guy that you know you're gonna be able to depend on then you go with Rashawn Slater because he's so clear about who he is. Um, fundamentally, he's very sound, very balanced, can change up his set, has the ability to play right and left tackle, uh, very skillful, very good with his hand, strong as hell, very cerebral, and just like you know what you're going to get. Those type of guys end up coming in and having success immediately in the NFL. When you talk about Panay, you got a guy that's 6'5", 330, shows and flashes physical dominance, uh, that you can make the argument that his best football is still going to be ahead of him um, as he starts to mature and grow into that body. I think he's only 20 years old. Um, and some of what he did, he did at 17, 18, and 19 years old. So you got to be excited about both guys' potential upside. Um, I'm going to be a little biased here. Um, I think Rashawn, to me, is the best tackle in the draft simply because uh, of how clear he is about who he is and you know what he needs to work towards. Um, I think if you turn on the tape against Chase Young, that's very evident. He had a plan. He executed that plan. And I think as we saw as the season went on uh, in the NFL season this year, how Chase Young kind of took off, uh, you know, midway through the year and into, you know, the postseason, I think that helped Slater stock tremendously because not only did that, put even more emphasis on the performance that Rashawn had. Rashawn got better during his time away from football because we were able to identify some of his areas uh, for improvement and really focus on those from September on. Um, Panay was in a great situation um, down uh, working athletes first with uh, Sam Baker and just kind of who he was around. And I'm looking forward to uh, in the future here working with Panay as well because I think those are two talented young men that are going to be pillars at the tackle position for a very long time for a team. And I think whoever gets either one of them are going to get two very good and dynamic players. Yeah, and one thing that that I know just from following you on Twitter bugs you and has been bugging me for years is uh, everybody acting like they're just going to kick every tackle in a guard like there's a hundred elite tackles out there or something like you know I just wanted uh, to ask you Duke with, with all the years you've been doing this um, obviously I think I saw last year uh, you worked with almost 20% of the guys who were drafted you're working with so many guys and you're just watching all this film and consuming all this this knowledge and information where do you think teams go wrong when they're evaluating offensive linemen and trying to get a kid out of college that'll, that'll play in their scheme in their city? Yeah, so I think O-line is first the most misunderstood, mis-evaluated, and mishandled position there is. And I think the landmine that a lot of teams fall into is the physical trait and the threshold numbers versus what they mean versus quit critical factors. So the traits are the height, the length, um, you know, the wingspan, uh, you know, the agility numbers, the jumping numbers. You know, you got to reach this threshold in order to be able to play this position. He doesn't have this length. 
where the critical factors are his fans, you know, the complete bend that he had, the relationships between his footwork and his hips and his elbows and creating leverage in the hands, where's his hat placement going to be, how is he able to rework his hands. Those are the critical factors for the position that are going to tell you way more about a player's ability to project inside or outside or wherever the hell you may want to put them versus threshold numbers. Because I can pull up over the past 10 years guys who have measured with 34, 35-inch arms and what they've done in terms of their production at the tackle position. And you could pull up some guys that have 35, 36, 37-inch arms that couldn't block a troll on Twitter. So it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I'm looking more how a guy uses his hand, overall hand usage and the efficiency. Now, with that being said, there's going to be guys that present some um, critical factors and a skill set and even traits that automatically project inside. When you look at a, a Vera Tucker from um, um, USC, he's a guy that definitely can play tackle. But when you look at his traits and the critical factors, he plays with square power, is able to get his hips um, in line and downhill quickly, is able to get under and lift guys immediately, um, able to tight reach, backside cut off, move the point of attack. Those are all things that make and develop and uh, project into a really tremendous guard. And so the difference between projecting him in the guard and projecting other people in the guard is Vera Tucker has showed that he can play guard. And he can play guard at a very high level, but also shows you that he could be a serviceable tackle, which he showed this past year. So in terms of the projection of moving a guy inside or outside, it's way more complicated than just those threshold numbers. And I think a lot of teams go wrong when they look at the threshold numbers versus the critical vacuum. So, again, it's got to be how do we sit here and evaluate? And then how do we place evaluation on what we're evaluating in terms of numbers and critical factors? I think once you come to a common ground with, with yourself internally within that and you trust that model and time and time again from the aggregation of data, the aggregation of film, and you, you tie everything in, that's what allows you to cleanly project and not miss on these guys. But I don't think teams do that, and that's why so many teams miss on two positions, quarterback and O-line. It's the mm. most difficult position to develop because they're unnatural in their learned skills, and it's a crapshoot in terms of how to actually develop them and then what's translatable from the Saturday game to the Sunday game. That's mm. also – a big thing. I'm able to watch enough film on college, being on the Joe Moore committee and just keeping up with all it. And so I see how guys win, the way they win, and what's, tra- what's going to translate to Sunday because I'm watching just as much film on pro guys. So I try to spend my Sundays, Mondays, essentially watching the college tape from the week before. And then I'll watch NFL on Sunday, and as soon as that film comes available to me Tuesday and Wednesday, I hammer that out. That way I can get uh, some of my pro guys, their advanced scouting reports and stuff that I may be doing for them. Um, so I'm watching a healthy amount of film uh, of both. So it gives you a keen idea of kind of where guys are at, what works, what's not going to work. And I think that's an important part of the evaluation progress is to not wait until – you know, where are we at in April and try to cram all these guys in. By the time a guy starts to get on the train of somebody in January and February, I've already watched three years of tape on them. Mm-hmm. You know? So 
I think that's what kind of separates me and my thoroughness for evaluation and then also being able to take what I think I see on film and develop that uh, once I get a guy in person. Man, Duke, you hit it on the head, man. So many of these evaluators and teams rely on the tail of the tape, the height, the weight, the numbers, but they don't actually look at the tape like you're explaining and, and the critical factors. I mean, that's awesome. And and uh, just going going more into that, uh, so the Bears picked at 20, and, you know, we, we need some offensive linemen here. Just want to get your assessment of who you think may be the best fit for the Bears at 20 in terms of what offensive linemen may be available uh, at that pick. Yeah, it really depends on what you're looking for and what you're looking at. If you think, hey, we need to go tackle, I think you're going to have plenty of options at tackle um, at 20. Uh, it's interesting, you know, after last year's draft, and I remember I kind of told people this coming into this year's draft, is the narrative was this draft is not going to be as loaded as last year's draft. And you can make the argument that at the top of the list last year with you know, Makai Beckton and Andrew Thomas and Jedrick Wills and mm-hmm. Tristan Wirfs, like, you know, that's about as good as a class as far as t- starters and tackles that you can get early on. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I want to make sure that people didn't under value is that this class presents some different players that are going to be able to do some really cool things at tackle and interior offensive line. So we talked about Slater. We talked about the Nate school. Um, you got guys like Christian Dearsaw that could be around uh, 20. You got guys like Tevin Jenkins who's going to bring some physicality from Oklahoma State uh, that could be around at pick number 20. Uh, a guy that I like is Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. Uh, he's a kid that I think could be really, really special. Very cerebral kid. Um, has some very uh, interesting and, uh, uh, and uh, intriguing traits, but also possesses some really good critical factors. I think he's a guy that a year from now, maybe even two years from now, you'll look back and think, wow, that was a special player. For him, it's going to take, uh, you know, just uh, a coach that has a developmental plan and that is able to hone in and continue to reinforce fundamentals. Um, I think a guy like uh, Brady Christensen from BYU uh, will be there at 20. He potentially played himself in or performed himself into a first, second, and even third-round pick, depending on how things view him. I think a lot of people were high on Brady Christensen from BYU or actually from Zach Wilson, the quarterback. But then once they saw the way Brady tested and went back and looked at his face, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, this kid can play. Um, so there's going to be plenty of options there. We talked about Bear Tucker. You decide that uh, if he's going to give you the position flexibility that you need. And I think just overall, uh, this tackle class and even guard class is a little deeper than people expect. Hey, Big Duke, man, um, we don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, I just want to end with this. Uh, you know, hopefully we can get you back on, maybe break down the Bears if they do pick an offensive lineman and, uh, we could talk to you forever about offensive line play. Obviously, you know that, but, um, you know, just on your way out, uh, young offensive lineman out there, high school offensive lineman out there, uh, what's your advice for them to be working on, uh, what they should be ignoring and what they should be paying attention to? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to talk in two phases here. So if you are a parent of a young offensive lineman, and I'm talking about elementary, middle school, don't worry about the specialization of the position yet. Let them train generally, um, building that coordination, 
um, the hand-eye coordination, um, building the overall balance, stability, flexibility that all the sports and free play may bring. Um, if you're talking about like a middle school to high school kid, there's a different couple of different tiers here. You got your high, middle school to high school kids that are early bloomers that you know when you know that they're going to be special at a given sport. Let them roll with it. Let them make the decision to really fully be locked into a specific sport. Then you got people, you got some of the kids that in that same age group, you know, middle school to high school that are interested in sports but still trying to find themselves, still trying to grow into that body after a growth spurt. You know, take it a little slower with them. Don't be demanding with them. Have structure, but allow them to enjoy everything. Um, at that point, I think there's time where you can start to uh, progress, starting to lift weight, or owning really owning the body. You know, own your body squat, own squatting under tension, time under tension, your isometric hold. Learn how to reverse lunge and hold and be stable at the end range of motion. Learn how to lateral lunge. Um, you know, built on that great hip mobility and ankle mobility. Learn how to do push-ups properly. Uh, setups properly, core stabilization, pull-ups, all those things, tremendous opportunity from, you know, the youth to high school, and then you just start to dial it in. In high school, and again, sometimes you'll be in middle school, you understand exactly where um, you are or where your, your kid is in terms of the developmental tree and the developmental process. From that point, you can start to hone in and really focus on position-specific, whether it's O-line or any other position. From that, that's where I think you start to – parents got to do a good job of kind of vetting some of these trainers, some of these guys working with your kids, make sure they're not ingraining poor or uh, movement patterns that can put them in danger and harm's way. Because that's what we're starting to see is people are specializing way too early and not letting the neural uh, pathways kind of develop, and that's what is causing all these soft tissue and non-contact injuries. So I think if the plan for development should be – Keep it simple, stupid. And until a kid shows that he's ready to really commit and uh, and really specialize, let them be kids. Let them free play. Let them eat. Uh, show them the importance of great nutrition. Show them the importance of sleep and recovery and the small things. Because as I've learned, those smaller things are what allows guys now to thrive at this level um, even if they start on early on. There's so much information and so many free resources out there now that I think there's really no excuse. Uh, what we're doing with the Final Five Academy is pretty darn cool. We're bringing a component of O-line mastermind kind of to the high school and middle school level. This isn't a scouting or recruiting camp, although we do provide that particular service in our package. But this is straight two days of teaching where we talk, teach guys how to warm up properly. We teach guys how to get in the sand. We teach guys how to pass that. We teach guys how to take notes. We teach guys how to watch film. We teach guys how to be good leaders. We teach guys how to uh, lift properly. Uh, and so it's a two-day event that is all about the O-line lifestyle. And, again, we kind of invite all our middle school and high school kids to that. Uh, we have one scheduled for Dallas, but we actually just postponed it as I'm recovering from uh, patella and quad tendon surgery in both knees. But – we're highly fired up and excited about the Final Five Academy and what it's going to bring to the space of O-line development for high school and middle school kids 
without the stupid ass one on ones with no pads and all that shit. <laughs> hey, Big Duke, man, thanks so much. Uh, man. We learned a lot just talking to you, man. Keep up the great work. Uh, keep developing those offensive linemen. Uh, as you guys know, that's near and dear to my heart. But uh, we appreciate it, man. We're hoping to get you back on. Thanks, Duke. When uh, we wish you a speedy recovery, hey, man. Hey, I appreciate that. Owner, we'll see you down here in July for Mastermind, brother. All right, man. All right, J-Mag, man, that's going to do it for today's show. Uh, as always, uh, you know, share our podcast with your friends, your families, your neighbors, anybody who likes football. Uh, also, you can subscribe to our podcast if you want. Give us a review, good or bad. Uh, you can give us a star, but try to give us five stars if you can. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you've been listening to the No Name Podcast. Thanks for hanging out, and we'll see you next time. Mahalo.